This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. Yanni, tell... Man, you got to tell everybody about a handful of things. Tell everybody about uh, the egg rolls you made. The Putellas has had the Ranellas for dinner. Mm, yeah. For the first time, maybe. I don't know about that. I've eaten over at your house. You know what? Your wife's just never joined you. She's always been out, and I've just had you and the kids over. I think it was the first formal total Putellas, total Ranella mm-hmm. formal dinner. Sure was loud in there. Yeah. Our house is not very acoustically friendly. Log cabin, you know, and we just don't have enough bears and lions and shit on the walls to, to dampen it down. To suck so it up. So we have five kids in there. It's Yeah. And he's got a cold rolled sheet steel table, which doesn't help. No, doesn't help either. But uh, yeah, we were making pho, which if you don't know what pho is, it's basically a uh, bowl of very hot... Uh, broth that's traditionally made from oxtail. Uh, I used wild game stock. P H O. I'll point out. Folks. Yeah, that's how you. That's how you spell it. And uh, then you add to the stock a bunch of uh, very aromatic um, herbs. Uh, you char some onions. You char ginger. There's cardamom in there. Coriander. I'm sure I'm missing a few, but you get the idea. Very flavorful. Uh, uh, strong on the nose stock. And uh, the way it all comes together is you have some rice noodles, you have some raw meat, and then you have some um, garnishes like uh, mint leaves, basil, green onions, sliced jalapenos, bean sprouts, and you put the noodles and the meat into the bowl, and then you take a big ladle of the super hot stock, pour it over the top Over of the it. raw meat. Yeah, over the raw meat. And uh, it basically cooks it. Um, when you're in a Vietnamese, uh, like a noodle bowl restaurant, you can choose from all, basically every cut of meat out there. And I'm guessing that some of them they must cook ahead of time a little bit. But we just use like the tenderest. We just use, just use backstrap. Well, yeah, he used um, his baby moose that got ran over on the road down below his house. <laughs> yeah, oh, awesome. That is I thought when I came in, animal, dude, man. I walked in, I said, is that like pork? What is that? It's that baby moose that's so pale. Oh, no. And we had to eat the whole thing. My kid looks up the hill behind Yanni's house, and there's a bedded cow moose on the hill. <laughs> so we're like, probably do the proximity eating her baby. How's that, kid? Now, if I was on a hill and someone was eating my baby down the bottom of the hill, I would be pissed. Going, what does that He's broth? That broth pills. smells. Familiar. Do you think that was the mother of that baby? Who knows? There's quite a few <laughs> moose running around that drainage. So I like to. I like to think it was not. Uh, so, so anyways, that. we made some pho, and I thought, you know, pho is just not going to be quite, because the kids are tend to be, some kids are really into it, and my kids, it's like a 50-50, depending on how they're feeling about how interested they're going to be in eating pho that night. So they kind of flag the red, the raw meat. Yeah. They and sort it, of are like, home. what? It's kind of the attitude everybody has. Yeah. The kids. Yeah, and again, some nights my kids tear it up, and other nights it's a, it's just not what they're feeling. But so I thought, well, we should make a little something extra. 
And since we're going Vietnamese, one of the, the other things I love to eat at a Vietnamese restaurant are these fried spring, spring rolls that come served with um, basically a big stack of lettuce leaves, like whole lettuce leaves. Think of like a head of just leaf lettuce. And they just separate them out, big stack. And also, same thing again, basil, bean sprouts, jalapenos, all that stuff. And uh, you take the fried uh, spring roll, which basically is just like a skinny egg roll. Inside of it, I had... Yeah, you're leaving a lot out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. The, the filling was uh, probably 50% uh, like a rice noodle, just like a really skinny noodle that it cooks so fast that you don't even actually cook it, like boil it like a traditional noodle. What we do is you just basically put it into a bowl and then pour just boiled water over the top of it and just let it sit in there and for 10 minutes or so. And it, and that's how you get the best consistency out of those rice noodles. And then from there, it goes into the hot bowl soup. But it also was part of the filling for these fried spring rolls, which also had uh, like very finely chopped onions, carrots, cabbage, uh, some rehydrated mushrooms, fish sauce, garlic, a couple other things. And uh, yeah, all rolled up. Steve fried them for me. And, we fried them uh, in. The, it was was that that beef fat that yes, was in there. Yes, it was. Yeah, and my. Uh, how'd you like that double sized Weston fryer? I like that the thing's thing. nice, yeah. isn't it? No, you can get some work done with that thing. Yeah, dude, crew. you want to see kids eat some shit, man? Give them those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just give them those. <laughs> yeah, those rolls, things. Man. <laughs> yeah, we took them skiing the next day for lunch, just cold, and uh, yeah, like before they touched anything else, their hot chocolate wasn't even drank, and they had polished off. I think five. Five minutes egg roll. <laughs> I never seen anything like it. I'm gonna have to take notes on that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that was the voice, of Chad Mendes. Oh, what's up, guys? Ten month old baby. Ten month old. Yep. I don't know where. Are you the married? Oh yeah, you're went. married. You got yep. a ring on. Got it. Yeah, we uh, first baby girl. Probably plan on having maybe one more. The wife's trying to do maybe two or three more, but. I think I'm good with one more. Stop at two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Everybody's got their I'm own. Everybody's got their own tolerances, yeah. man. We got we got yeah. burned on three. We got we were maxed out for a couple of years there. Now we're in the clear, but it got rough. My my good buddies had one boy, and they're like, let's just do one more. I had twin girls. Yeah. Mm. And they got three now. So now that you have a girl, are you sort? Of, are you hoping for one or the other for the second one? I mean, I'm going to be honest here. I was hoping for a girl. I, I've i always just pictured myself. I'm a softy, man. I, I, you know, people see me. I'm this UFC fighter. I'm supposed to be this, like, extremely tough dude. I'm the biggest softy you've ever met. Like, I love having my girls, you know, and just, I don't know, something about being able to cuddle my daughter. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm hoping that she gets into the outdoor lifestyle, and I'm hoping that she's into hunting and fishing and stuff like that. I'm going to do my very best to get it go in that direction and obviously that's up to her but um you know i i wouldn't be opposed either way yeah it'd be nice to have a boy and a girl but did you have a rough uh relationship with your dad <laughs> a little bit see that thing is <laughs> Just, I, I had i mean i had a very complex relationship with my dad and it made me want a girl because i could i was like man i don't know if i can do all that yeah from the other side uh-huh so i was like if i have a girl hell it'd be easy yep and i i mean i had a good relationship with my dad like he was always taking us to wrestling and doing all that stuff but my dad was always kind of a tough ass you know and um 
I don't know if maybe that's what it was, but yeah, I feel I feel good having a baby girl. I'm just excited about that. So, I did girl first as as well, and when we were having our second one, we waited. We didn't know, and I ended up rooting to have another girl just because my thinking was. I wanted them to have sisters, you yeah. know? I see my wife and her sister, and they got a strong relationship, mm-hmm. and um, I can just look at me and my siblings, and I don't want to say I'm really that much closer to my brother than my sister, but a little bit, you know? And I just figured it'd be nice if they're, you know, be your sisters. Yeah. That's what we ended up with. Yeah. Oh, nice. So you got yeah, two, and they're tight. Nice. <laughs> see, that, w- that would be awesome. And I, I grew up in a household, we had eight people living in my house one time. I had too many people. Mm-hmm. Too many How was there eight people living in your house? So my mom and my dad had me, and then they split up when I was young. And then my dad remarried, my mom remarried. Obviously, my mom, that wasn't part of this, but um, the woman he remarried had a boy and a girl already. And then he had uh, two boys and a girl with her. So all of us were living in one house. I had lots so of you half-brothers had, you, and So your dad had custody of you? Yes. My dad got custody of me. And uh, and that's what I'm saying. Like, girl, I, I probably shouldn't make the statement I had a horrible relationship with my dad or anything, but we were close. Uh, we He got me into wrestling when I was five years old and wrestled shit every year all the way up through college and then jumped right into fighting. So um, my dad coached me all the way up through up through high, uh, to high school. And then, well, was actually your, your coach into he, high school? Into high school, yep. Got it. And oh, really? Once I got to high school, he backed out and let the high school take over. Yeah. But, um Hey, you know, we were talking to another athlete, um, you know, uh, Bo Jackson, and I was mm-hmm. surprised to hear Bo Jackson say that um, he wouldn't want his kid to play football. Really? Would you want your Would you want your daughter to go into UFC? I, I could uh, no, no. <laughs> no. I thought you were going to say wrestling. <laughs> yeah. UFC, no, not a chance. Uh, you know, because what? Like, what is it about it? Um, it's. Uh, I, one of the main reasons why I got out of it, you guys know Jason Harrison. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good, I'm good buddies with them. Uh, the whole CTE thing scares the shit out of me. Okay. Um, I feel like, obviously, with boxing, you know, that's one thing. You're getting knocked down and, you know, you're basically getting flash knocked out and then getting back up and counting it off. Oh, I'm, I'm back. And then get flash knocked out again. In, you're saying in boxing. In boxing, okay. you know. So... Obviously, UFC fighting's not that way. You get flash knocked out, and the guy jumps on you and finishes you. That's it, you know? But we box as part of our training. So I'm still doing the same shit in the ring, you know, 10 weeks out before a fight where I'm taking repetitive blows to the head where if I get my bell rung during sparring, we stop it for a second, and we're all too damn hard-headed to be like, I'm done. Like, let's keep going. Jump back in there. You know, there's a lot of, in my opinion, it's a lot of head damage that happens that the sport is so young that we just haven't really seen the long-term effects of it. And you know, I, I want to, I want to interrupt you for a second. I want to bring people that might not know, because we talked about Jason Harrison. So I want to make sure people track what you're talking about yeah, yeah. is Jason Harrison. He was one of the founders of Kuyu. Sitka a long time mm-hmm. ago. Yes. Yes. And then founded, uh, Kuyu, the hunting apparel company, but he had been a high school, college football player. Yep. Um, went into the NFL, never played in the NFL, but went into the NFL and practiced in the NFL, but yep. had a number of, concussions yeah and then i guess it was over, a little over a year ago yeah took his own life mm-hmm. um and had observed correct me if i'm wrong any of this but had talked about in interviews and mentioned his concerns about uh, traumatic brain injuries mm-hmm. 
and and that he he would he he worried that he saw things in his personality and saw things in the way he responded to things. Am, am I getting this right? Yep, you nailed it. That, that made him like, wow, is that is that me? Mm-hmm. And then again, um, like in a way that was inexplicable to a lot of people around him, uh, killed himself. Yep, and he, I mean he had everything. I mean, beautiful family, beautiful kids. Yeah, you know, a very successful company. When like when we would go on hunts, he's I remember multiple times, you know, sun coming up, we're getting, you know, on a duck hunt or something, and he'd look over at me and just be like, dude, this is, like, this is living the dream. Like, we're working right now. Yeah. And it's like, fuck, it takes you back, and you're like, dude, you're right. Like, this is awesome. You know, multiple times. And I, I know he had those moments of him, like, he knew he had the life. Like, you know what I mean? He knew everything was good. But he had talked to us multiple times about him knowing that he had CTE. Like, he knew it. Like, I'm, you know, they had a family plan, like 10 year plan, stuff like that. Like, they, this was something that they knew that right? was, was a serious thing. And, um, you know, it's just kind of a bummer. And for me, like, I have teammates that over the last, I mean, shit, I fought for 11 years. And from the beginning to the, when I just, I just retired last December. Um, but I can see them changing, you know, we, there's certain people on our team where we've, they take a beating in the gym training and they take a beating in the fight when they get in there. And it's like, dude, you got to stop. But they just what can't. Are the th- they what are the things that you see? Um, speech. Like a lot of the times you're just like, dude, why are you, what are you saying? Like they're, they're talking to you and they just start jumping around. Um, oh, so it's not like, uh, not like, uh, like an, it's not enunciation. It's sort of like the logic of, of talking. Oh, it, it, some of it is. I mean, you got a guy like Chuck Liddell. I don't know if you've ever talked to that no, guy. Sometimes no. I'm like, ah, uh, I don't know what the fuck you're saying, man. You uh-huh. know, but I don't know. I, I didn't know Chuck before my college career, so who knows? Maybe he's always been that way. But there are certain guys where they, they're talking and you're like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, and, and then also just mood swings. Like there's certain guys that during, during training camps, and I mean, this is probably – understandable but they'll they'll just flip out like something's not going their way and they throw shit and storm out you know and you know i know that's a that's a symptom just not being able to control emotions you know and shit just gets out of control um did that factor into your decision to retire big time you know i had my first baby girl here's how i looked at the whole fight game i came out of college um and i i told uriah like look i I'll fight. I'm going to first try this out. If I absolutely suck at it, I'm going to go get a real job. Um, ended up being good at it, and I said, okay. And this is, this is what age? Oh, shit. I think I was 22 or 23. Oh, like so right out of college. Graduating yeah. college, yep. and then I got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, yeah. But you had done it during college. No, I just wrestled. So five. Oh, I see. So you had like, there's like a transition from wrestling to. to, Yeah. uh, yeah. I I see what you're saying. Yeah. So when you say to know if you're good at it, you mean to know if you're good enough, like to make that jump to to fighting. Uh huh. Were were you approached by somebody to say, hey, you should try this out? Or is it just something that was happening and you're kind of like, yeah, I got some. You're looking at people on TV and stuff being like, I bet I could kick his ass. <laughs> no, I mean, my, for me, it was fav- Uriah Faber. I don't know. Do you guys know who that is? The California kid. Uh, he was. I know the name, but. He was kind of the pioneer for the lighter weight guys. You're going to be disappointed with, oh, a lot, with a lot of our knowledge base on this. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> it's, it's, it's real interesting to me, yeah. but excuse me for not knowing no, what the fuck. No, I'm yeah. the same way, man. Okay, I okay. get it. Um, no, so Uriah wrestled at UC Davis. So I knew Uriah through the wrestling community. Um my wrestling coach at Cal Poly uh, would put on a six-week 
camp every summer up in uh, Tahoe. And he would bring us in as like counselors and like people that would, you know, mentors and stuff like that. And he brought Faber in as well. And so I, at that time I was, oh, I think it was my freshman summer going into sophomore year in college. Uh, Faber was there and he's getting ready for one of, I think he had fought maybe two or three times where he was getting ready for his first championship fight. And he kept hurting all the other wrestlers because he was doing jujitsu, like submissions and stuff. And none of us knew what the fuck we were doing. And so nobody wanted to train with him. And he's like, man, I, I have to work out. Like I got a fight coming up. I got to train and me, they're going to have to go back to Davis and start working out. Or I got to, you know, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I'll train with you. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So I jumped in there and we trained together for the rest of the time he was there. But he like pulled me aside and he's like, dude, I, I think you'd be really good at fighting if you want to give it a shot after college. He's like, I have um, a gym up in Sacramento. He's like, I have a spare bedroom in my house. If you, you can just crash there until you get a few fights under your belt and, you know, you have some money in your account. And I'm like, well, shit, I'm, I'll give it a shot. You know, like, like I said, worst case, I suck at it and I'll just go get a real job. So we kept in touch all, all my college career and day I graduated that next day I threw all my shit in a U-Haul and moved up to Sacramento. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Moved my stuff into a spare What'd bedroom. What'd you study in college? Kinesiology. So study how the body moves is just, oh, okay. which a lot of that actually helped out my fight career a lot. You know, a lot of the nutrition classes and just understanding that type of stuff. But, um, yeah, so I, I threw all my shit in his spare bedroom and that same day I went and jumped into to to pro sparring basically so and they put this stupid funny looking headgear on you these 16 ounce boxing gloves uh shin guards why 16 ounce gloves just to keep each other from knocking each other out which there are still guys that got knocked out wearing those but you just have these big pillow gloves you know yeah, yeah i got you um and i have no clue what i'm doing you guys I'm, just start beating on each other's oh, heads yeah. <laughs> i'm watching these guys i'm sitting on the sideline and these guys are like trying to kill each other you know and I'm like, what the hell did I just get myself into? But was it was it cage fight? Like, walk me through how cage like people don't use the term cage fighting anymore. Um, they do from they time do. to time. But was it like a rebranding? Maybe. So a lot of people get confused on on the sport. So MMA, mixed martial arts, is the sport. That's like football. Yep. And then UFC is like the NFL. Yep. So it's um so people like sometimes I'll get asked, oh, do you do you fight in MMA? Like, do you fight in the league MMA? And I'm like, um, I fight in the UFC, but I, f I do fight the sport of MMA. But so there I, used to be, or maybe there still are, other uh, UFCs, right? No. So there's only one UFC. But no other things that had the same function. Yeah. So, so there's- Like the octagon and shit. What was that? It, yeah. That, that's what it is. UFC okay. is still an octagon. It's So there's different organizations, though. Yeah. So like Bellator is another organization. So you have the UFC, which is like the top of the top. I'd say probably Bellator is right underneath it, and then one is a new one that they just opened up in Asia. Um, I'd say those are probably like your three biggest right now. Um, but the sport is mixed martial arts. Yeah. So everyone that's fighting in those organizations is fighting mixed martial arts. It's just what organization are you in? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and and uh, from the old days, like when – do wrestlers came out of this more successfully than boxers? Oh, yeah. Like, it's better to be a wrestler. I think so, yeah. Mainly because, of, in, in my honest opinion, it's body awareness. Um, like, someone, they can learn how to move and put their body in certain positions naturally without having to think about it. 
versus someone that's just st- standing straight up trying to punch you. Like those wrestlers get those guys down and it's game over. You know, if they don't know what to do on the ground, it's pretty easy. You can't, it's hard to punch someone from your back. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, yeah. What year did you do your first UFC fight? Oh, UFC. So I signed with the WEC, which was World Extreme Cage Fighting, which um, was owned by the same company that owned the UFC. Okay. So that was and it was like fun. a farm league for the UFC? Or? Yeah, it was like for the lighter weight guys. They did like 30, 135s, 145s, and 155s, and that was it, I believe. Uh, I take that back. They had a few other weight classes, but the the majority of it was like to put some light on the lighter weight classes because the UFC started at 155s and up. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I really don't understand why they did that in the beginning, but they eventually just realized this is dumb and they just merged the two and just had all the weight classes exactly. Uh huh. So now the UFC just goes from the smallest weight class up to the the biggest all in one organization. And what was your weight class? 145. And so my senior year See, in I'd college. See, i beat your ass, man. Because <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> what, I'm you, like, what am I? I, I, I got like, uh, you know, 17, 18 pounds on you. All right. Well, that's actually what I <laughs> normally would. Chad, would you like a week to bulk up? Yeah. I'm gonna, before you fight Steve? I'm actually we'll about 175 right I was telling you, I've been going to the gym so much, I'm starting to look like J-Lo, man. <laughs> I'm getting ripped, man. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, 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 Oh, go ahead, Cal. Uh, do you want to continue down the, the career path here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, you went from spare bedroom on a, on a sparring team Yep. Well, for, for somebody or? Yeah, so our team was Team Alpha Male. So that was Uriah put <laughs> like together. <laughs> yeah. Uriah put together this team. This is a dream of his that he wanted to build this MMA team like nobody had done before. And he started recruiting all these wrestlers. And we just talked about, Faber had the same mentality, like wrestling is the best base. So he started getting all these NCAA wrestlers and pulling us all in. And we all came together and built Team Alpha Male. And we we had coaches, like, so you have your striking coaches, your strength and conditioning coaches, your jujitsu, like submission stuff type coaches. Um, And so you have this one-stop shop um, where you can just do all your discipline training in one location. Um, and that was kind of unheard of back then when it first started. Like most guys, when they were getting ready for a fight, they'd have to jump over to this gym and just do their submission stuff. Then they'd have to jump over to this gym and do their strength and conditioning. And then over here for striking. So this was kind of like a, kind of like a new thing, new era. Was there like a revenue share model in there? Like what makes the team the team? So, yeah. So we all paid a percentage. Okay. Um, so of our fight purse. So say... To it, compensate all the trainers. Exactly. So yeah. that's how we divvied it up and everybody paid for all the coaches and everything. Um, and and that's just how it went. Like everybody pitched in. Um, but yeah, so we would train. Um, we have all these now training partners all in one location. So I got guys that were... Faber was a world champion at that at that time. Um, so I'm training with straight out of college with some, with a world, multiple world champions, um, learning the ropes and how to fight and like all the techniques and, um, did that for three months. And was that, uh, uh, supportive atmosphere? Like were they, they invested in you and in getting you, uh, improved and yeah, for sure. And that's what was so cool about that team. It felt just like a bunch of brothers, like everyone, came from that NCAA mentality, like the wrestling mentality. Oh, so you guys had a little bit of shared history. Exactly. We all knew each other, and we'd all wrestled against each other or on the same team, some of us, um, in college. 
And so coming together, everyone, you know, it was it was really cool. Everyone was pretty close. Everyone's helping each other out for fights. And um, I did that for three months before I had my first pro fight. Um, and I still remember this. The guy's name was uh, uh, Incarnacion was his last name. He had a wiffle ball bat for a leg. And one leg was like, I don't know what the hell had happened. Maybe he got in an accident as a kid. But he was this um, uh, really high-class kickboxer. And so, you know, he's jacked everywhere. His other leg's all jacked. And he has this one, like, really skinny leg all the way from the top to the bottom. Oh, when you said wiffle ball bat, I don't know if you like Big Bertha or like <laughs> no, the yellow it was kind. Like just, yeah, yellow. <laughs> <laughs> Not the red kind. Nope. And I, I remember going out there and I, I it was. But, like, 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 what do you mean? Like, because it had been specially developed as like a. <laughs> it atrophied. Yeah, it was, I was going to say there must have been some kind yeah, of atrophy. Yeah, I think he, I don't know if it was a birth defect or if he got in an accident, like I said, but there was like. Not a lot of muscle on it, but holy shit, did he throw that sucker. Like oh, he, really? Oh, like it was a blade? He, yeah, he would, like, head kick people and knock them out with that thing. Just bone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I remember going so out to the first So your coaches were like, so watch out for exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> we trained a lot for that, and uh, he threw that thing at me in the first, like, 15 seconds, and I moved, and I remember it just whizzing by my head, and I'm like, dude, you cannot get hit with that thing. <laughs> I remember being a, when I was a little kid, man, <laughs> you remember, like, uh, Remember, like, the Chicago Bears had their big deal where they, like, won the Super Bowl and, like, Fridge Perry and all that yeah. shit. I remember, like, this is, like, probably the last sports interview I listened to, was uh, <laughs> Fridge Perry was talking about why he liked black shoes. He said that people see those black shoes and they think you're going to be slow. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you smoke them. Oh, so I'm yeah. thinking that leg, he's like, oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, like people are like not paying any attention to that leg, and all of a sudden that cold cops. That has <laughs> to be it, man. Because I I remember watching highlights of that guy and just like studying up on him before I fought him, and he had multiple head kick knockouts with that thing, and I'm huh. like, that thing is brutal. Did you win? I won. I took him down. <laughs> like, I'm not getting kicked at that damn thing. And I took him down and choked him out in like I don't know for a couple minutes, you know. And I remember getting up just feeling so pumped. Like this is this is pretty freaking cool. I just got paid. To beat somebody up. <laughs> and that was good money, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, shit, time, straight out sure. of college. It was only a couple grand, but, yeah, yeah. you know, going from no no money as a college student to a couple grand in a couple minutes, I'm like, sign me up for the oh, next The one. second you turn, I remember, like, selling my first magazine stories. The second you turn something that's generally cost you money into something that makes you money is a triumphant feeling, oh, man. Oh, it feels so good. <laughs> like, yeah, there's, like, a reverse that happens. You're like, but, sucker. Yeah. <laughs> So what what made like someone that self describes themselves as a softie, like what made you be, be a like be pumped up about beating somebody up? I think it was more of just a success thing. You know, I was so nervous going into it. Yeah, because I didn't know how the hell I was gonna do. You know, coming off of wrestling, I was I was the man in wrestling. I was an NCAA runner up, two time All American in in college and. So I'm like, God, I got a lot, like, there's so much pressure. Like, people are are expecting me to come in here and do really well. Mm-hmm. What if I go out there and get head kicked and knocked out by that wiffle ball bat, you know? And so there was just, for me, I remember feeling super nervous. Like, I remember walking, because at that point it wasn't um, a cage. It wasn't an octagon. It was a boxing ring. So I remember walking, you know, and it was basically in my hometown, so I had tons of people that I knew from high school and growing up oh, there yeah, watching yeah. me and I'm like fuck man I can't please don't screw this up 
And uh, and so I went out there and was successful in a couple minutes. And I just remember just being like, ah, oh, yes, that was freaking awesome. Like, uh, I want to do it again. And I think that's one of the main reasons. It's just the success part of it, like like feeling the relief, all the hard work, knowing that you just killed yourself for that whole training camp to go in there and within a couple minutes, you know, not getting beat up at all mm-hmm. and uh, just being successful. So. You probably get, I bet people ask you this, it's probably as annoying, but did you get in a lot of fights when you were a little kid? Uh, yeah, I got in a few, yeah. Not not because I chose to. I was a tiny little guy. Like, I was 80 pounds my freshman year in high school. Like, I was so small. No shit, and, really? Yeah, and so, like, my whole life I got picked, like, I would get picked on, and then I would just whoop their ass. Like, guys would come up to me thinking that they were just going to bully me. And, I mean, I like I said, I started wrestling at five years old, so... Did you grow up, did you grow up poor like in a poor neighborhood? No, not too much. No. I, I grew up in like a little farm town. No. Um, like Why is everybody kind of, fighting and beating each other up? I don't know, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> just a fight in town. Yeah, there's a lot of ghetto ness too. Like it's a farm town, but there's also because it's in California, right? Yeah, C- central. I know California. what you mean. Like it's hard to picture, but there's a kind of a weird. There's like agricultural areas in California that. It's different than an ag area in Indiana. Like like things are yeah. kind of more compressed. Like worlds collide a little bit. Exactly. We know? had such a melting pot of races and just ton you know tons of different types of people there. You got one side of the town. It's all the farmers who, like you said, the ag people. And then you go over here, and it's um, you know low class, just pretty ghetto people that are living a rough life. You know, and then you go on this side, and you got people with tons of money you know, living in these big mansions, you know? And so it's kind of just a mix of yeah. a little bit of everything. But man, I just, I remember as a kid being terrified riding the school bus because we'd have people that were fighting on, I didn't like fighting. Like it's not something I like sought after as a kid. Um, but there would be people picking on other people all the time, getting in fights and dude, it was not something I enjoyed, but. It's, you know, how old are you? Uh, 34. Yeah. See, I'm like 12 years older than you. <laughs> But longer reach, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, more, yeah, more evidence. Like, yeah, I'm older, <laughs> like I'm older, so it's even another advantage I have, right? <laughs> um, my kids now in school, so my kids are five, seven, and nine. And the la- the the intolerance these days at school of people like beating people up. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's like you don't beat people up, and you don't mm-hmm. bully people. I remember things happening when i was a kid like on the school bus that i just can't even imagine now oh yeah there was i don't want to say the kid's name she's still around and i don't want to say the girl's name because she's still around but there was a girl that would ride our school bus and she would get off the school bus this is in junior high she'd get off the school bus and as she walked up her driveway the same kid every day would roll down his windows and, and yell out and call her repeatedly, hey, thunder thighs, thunder thighs, thunder thighs, every single day. Oh, you couldn't do that this day and age. And like just to have it be the, oh, it's just, he's just harassing her about the shape of her body. No big deal. Yeah. Dude. And like the just the brutality that kids get away with, man. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Like kids are. I remember kids. Kids are like knives. kids are awful, man. Oh yeah, you gotta. It's like real Lord of the Flies. You gotta kind of go. You gotta like govern kids, man. Mm-hmm. I agree, and that's. I'm. I'm kind of terrified. I. I mean, this day and age with all the social media stuff and where we've come as a society, like I'm terrified for my baby girl. <laughs> yeah. Like what? What the hell is shit gonna be like when she's in high school? You know. 
Like, what am I going to have to do? How many kids am I going to have to beat up <laughs> yep. to, to keep her safe, you know? And that's, I don't know, that's just something I'm terrified. But I, I think that's why we need to have another sibling and hope that, you know, it either it's a girl and they're really close or a boy that can just whoop some ass. Yeah. So <laughs> My daughter screwed something up on the bus. And like, damn, which I, don't, I still don't understand the full story, but um, she didn't get on the bus in the right way. But we heard from a teacher that my little boy went into her classroom and just read her the riot act about. No way. Yeah, how worried he was. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's really <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> I guess he just tore her down right in front of everybody. <laughs> he did not like it. Don't make me worry like <laughs> yeah. that. That's pretty that's cool. That's amazing. Did I, so what was your introduction to hunting and fishing? Was it young? Young. So I started hunting and fishing. I grew up here in Central California, um, Black Hill. Up in um, D- D7 was the zone. I grew up hunting near Shaver Lake and Dinky Creek and... Um, me and my dad and my brothers, I don't know what it was. They, they were never as into it as I was, but. How'd your dad get into it? Um, I think just through some buddies uh-huh. growing, you know, not, not even growing up. I think it was kind of later in life. Um, but I, I mean, I remember just having this, this weird, dis- like I would, hunting to me was like one of my most favorite things to do. Like I remember, uh, here's a story, like me and my brother. My dad used to like, um, like discipline us with hunting. Like you're not going hunting, and I would ball. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, really? yeah. Like I remember. Not one like time, you are going hunting. Yeah, uh-huh, <laughs> no, you're not going hunting. And I remember. So this one story, I had this. No kidding, he would use that as like a, a tool. Oh, yeah, he'd yeah. weaponize it. Yeah, I think that would work very well with your son. Oh god. Oh, oh it, yeah, my oh, older really? boy, it would he tear him up because yep. he, well, he's sensitive too. He wouldn't like to get excluded, <laughs> but yeah, it'd tear him up. Yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm. I, so I remember one time, me and my brother, I, I, I was probably six or seven, and my dad. It was a um, Friday. He just, uh, my dad owns a cabinet business, so he would. He's a, obviously self-employed, but he would be like, "Look, after Friday, or sorry, after we're done Friday, Saturday morning, we're gonna get up, we're gonna go. It's like a two-hour drive." Before daylight, we're going to hunt Saturday, um, all day Sunday, and come home Sunday night. So you guys had overnight? Yeah. Yeah. Camp and do all that stuff. Oh, really? Okay. And it, so it, he, was, he was pretty, like, he was into it. He was into it, yep, yeah, as a kid. Like enough to take kids and tents and shit. And, yeah, yeah, which I don't know. Um, yeah, that's another story. But I remember I had this, like, star-shaped medal that I won at a wrestling tournament, <laughs> and I took the ribbon part off, so it was just a star. Mm-hmm. And that was my ninja star. And me and my brother were up in our bedrooms playing ninjas that Friday night. At the drywall? Oh, no. Window. (laughs) (laughs) My brother, was. I was in my room, and then it was just an empty doorway, and then he was in the other room. And I don't know why I did this, but I tossed it. And I remember that one of the star edges sticking in the window, just like breaking a hole and sticking it and like just shattered around the edge. And I mean, these were pretty big windows in in our house, you know? And I just remember being like, oh, shit. Like, don't tell dad, don't tell dad. And like, I run in there <laughs> and take it out. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like trying to figure out a way to like keep it covered from him finding it. And of course, like shortly he comes up there to see what we're doing and there's a freaking hole in the window and he lost his shit. And needless to say, we're not going hunting tomorrow. And I I didn't sleep all night. I was so bummed, dude, to cry. Like I cried. I think we just went to bed right then because I was so upset. And... uh I think overnight my dad realized it was an accident and he still got us up before. You mellowed out. <laughs> and, uh, we, I remember him coming in in the dark and 
loading us up in the in the truck and we headed up. But did you guys have some success as kids? Um, yeah, I mean, kind of. I, I killed my very first buck up there. Um, it was with my old PSE Nova. I saved up um, my in high school. I saved up enough money to um, like I would mow lawns around our neighborhood, and I bought a used PSE Nova um, from a buddy. And I killed my very first. It was just a little tiny fork spike, um, frontal shot, clean pass through, and uh, me, my brothers. It was me, my and my two brothers and my dad went down. We found them, followed them down this real deep, deep canyon, got to the bottom, and my dad was like, "All right, so we'll gut this." Showed us how to do all that. He's like, "I'm gonna hike back up, and I'm gonna get the truck, and I'm gonna." try to find a way to come down here because we're not pulling this thing back up out of here. My dad gets lost. And so we're just like, what the hell do we do? We're sitting there in the dark with a dead deer. My dad is like wandering through the woods at night. And luckily we like drug that thing out and another hunter saw us. Oh, really? And loaded it up and we just told him how to get back to our camp. Um, and my dad was out there. For most of the night, like he, oh, he ended no. up finding his way back to the truck eventually, and then I don't even remember what time he got back. Maybe two, two or three in the morning. Um, but yeah, that was a. Uh, you're like I'm hooked. Great. Yeah, I love this. <laughs> Let's do it again. It's great. But uh, yeah, I mean, I that, I was successful then, and like growing up, I was thinking about this not too long ago. But my dad never really killed anything. I don't know if it's just him always trying to let us go first. Yeah. But I killed that one. My brother's never killed anything. And I think my dad killed one other little two point, um, you know, years down the road. Um, and that was pretty much it. I think we only killed two, two or three deer in that area from when I started as a little kid till I stopped hunting up there, which was basically after college. Did you have other kind of stuff you did? Like hunting, you know, BB gun hunting, oh, yeah. squirrels and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, grew up doing all that. So, um, and fishing too. I mean, fit, yeah. a great fishing spot. Yeah, there was a lot of good trout fishing up up in that area. Um, we would go up there and sometimes pull overnighters. Where this was like one of my favorite things to do. Where we'd go up there, no tent, no nothing. Um, and there was one spot. If it was a full moon, when the moon would come up and over the 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 hill in front of us those trout would go nuts on a glow bobber and a cricket. Oh, yeah. So we would just go out there and just sit and wait. Sometimes that moon wouldn't come up till like midnight, and you just sit there. Nothing would bite f- until then. And, you know, everyone's kind of started getting down, like, well, maybe we're just not going to catch anything. And sure enough, as soon as that full moon would come up and over, we would all limit out on trout. Like it illuminate. Yeah. It illuminate. They could see up yeah. or whatever, yeah. And so uh, we would do that from time to time, and – we sometimes would just crash in the bed of the truck for an hour or two and then drive back home. But we wouldn't camp really, wouldn't bring anything for it, just go up there and catch our limit as soon as that moon came up and over, and then we'd drive our two hours back home. When you uh, decided to start going into athletics, did you ever sense that there was a – you were sort of making a decision in life? You know, like there's this Jim Harris – I can't remember how – there's this Jim Harrison quote where it's something to the effect of – uh I think we're talking about like 10 year olds or something. And he's saying that where he grew up, there was already a split. And like you had your boys that had a baseball bat and a baseball mitt on their bike. And you had your boys with a fishing rod on their bike. And they might intermingle, but they're kind of their paths in life are like a little bit set. You defied that because now you're done doing the one and you're like 
very dedicated at, at you know hunter and angler. But did you going off to be so aggressive about athletics? Did you like ever? Did it occur to you that you're just going to have no time? Yeah, and that actually you're like happened. Dude, this is like a discipline, right? Mm-hmm. College for me was I really had to put the outdoor life on hold um, because you just couldn't be successful I and couldn't. do both. Nope, and it was tough for me, man. It, it was really tough for me. In fact, I almost quit wrestling my freshman year in college. I remember going through the full season and having to cut back on what I loved, absolutely loved to do probably more than anything. Um, and I was just trying to find myself like, is this something I really want to pursue? Like I could just go to college and be a normal person and do all the things that I love to do as far as the outdoors goes. And you got that one buddy who's always calling you, being like, mm-hmm. man, we knocked him dead no, over dude, here. That's man, we got him over here. Yeah. Here's the bark I got. Here's yeah. the dog Dave got. Yep. And so <laughs> it was brutal, man. I almost quit. And luckily, <clears throat> I had a really good coach in college, and we sat down, and he just kind of weighed out the pros and cons, and it kind of just put things into perspective for me on, look, I can suffer now. I can kill myself for these four years and, you know, be successful and have something to where I can – transfer out of college into making money and be able to do all that stuff for the rest of my life. And so after like really like thinking about it and putting that type of stuff in the perspective, I said, all right. And I stuck with it, had to keep all that stuff on hold. I would still get out from time to time. Like, so I went to Cal Poly, which is right there near Paso Robles, tons of wild pigs in that area. So we'd go out from time to time and do some pig hunting, um, you know, but for the most part, my deer hunting, pretty much everything got put on hold. Um, for four years. For four years. But then yeah. more years because you went professional. Exactly. But what's great about the fight game is fights Fights can happen at any time of the year. It's not like a season. Okay. So I might get a fight scheduled, um, and this happened quite a few times, right, right before deer season would start. So I would kill myself, do the 10-week training camp, go out there, whoop this dude's butt. And now I usually take like a good two to three weeks off. Gotcha. And let my body recover, depending on if I had any injuries or anything like that. And so then that would be my hunting time. Yeah. Time to kind of So you would start getting a little bit of time to, to exactly. collect yourself. Uh-huh. Um, there was a, a, a point in my fight career where I started to lose control <laughs> and started doing a little bit too much of the outdoor stuff. And I could tell my training started to suffer. I was in the tra- in the training room. I was feeling it, you know, getting tired when I shouldn't get tired. You know, and another person that actually sat me down was Uriah, was like, look, man, he's like, I see you're starting to struggle a little bit. Um, I see you're on all these hunting and fishing trips. Like, maybe we should cut that back a bit. Well, no kidding. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And uh, See, I would, yeah, it's funny. Like, you're you're performing at such a high level that stuff like that is regarded. Because, like, for most people who are so sedentary, that was sort of, like, that was up their game. You know what I mean? It would be like... Oh, you look great. You seem like you're getting out, you know, and yeah. you got a little more energy now. But to have it be that that, that is like the slacker route. I know, right? It's kind of weird. And I mean, the thing, I think the things that made me kind of feel crummy in the in the workout room is say you do a hunt where you're not eating a ton of calories, where my body's, I'm used to being on like a very strict routine when it comes to diet, like making sure I get enough food and the right kind of food where you're living off of freeze-dried meals and just eating kind of oh, minimal stuff for yeah, four, yeah. five, six, sometimes a week, um, you know, and I'm not, yeah, I'm hiking, but my body's used to redlining, you know, multiple times a day. So 
it's almost like taking a step back, which is which was good from time to time. Like right after a fight, after just killing myself for 10 weeks, that's perfect. You know, maybe not so much the calorie part of it, but not killing myself, not redlining my body where I'm just hiking around, glassing, sitting for a while. My body's recovering, but, you know, two, three months of that, it kind of catches up. And I would feel it when I'd get in the in the gym and start training when I'd start sparring with guys and I'm getting fatigued and stuff like that. I'm like, all right, it's time. So I, I did listen to favor. I cut back a little bit, um, started, you know, overcoming that type of stuff in the training room. Luckily, it didn't ever affect any of my fights because I was usually pretty smart about like, look, if I have a fight, I have to be serious here. But sometimes, you know, I would fight one time a year, you know, so I got tons of time that I'm just like training, but I don't really have a purpose. I don't have anything lined up. You know, they're, the UFC's like putting me kind of on the shelf for now yeah. because they're waiting for a certain match to happen. And then I fight the winner of that fight. So I'm just like kind of training for nothing, not training for nothing, but I, but way more motivated ex- when you know who exactly, you're going to fight. Yeah. Right? And so yeah. I kind of get in those types of years where it's like, well, shit, I'd rather be out chasing blacktail or something, you know? And so that's why I would be kind of doing that for two or three months at a time and and I would fill it in there but <laughs> did you know well let me ask you, I got two questions for, well, a whole shitload of questions but yep. scrap the did you know I'll ask you that one later um do you think like based on the kind of person you are and what you realize about yourself now do you think you'd have been successful at anything or do you think you just happened to hit the thing you'd be successful at um I think I probably would find a way to become successful at, at anything I, w- I would like to hope. Like it was, it was that, dr- it was like a drive to like do it. Yeah. And I whatever think, it is, I think that comes from the years of wrestling. I, I know like in, in college, like during the summer, if I just didn't train, if I went like two weeks without training, I'd feel like the biggest piece of shit. Like I just feel like guilty almost. And that's oh, just yeah, cause yeah. I'm like so used to doing everything or doing something every day. And I think even now that transfers into my daily life. Like I'm running fins and feathers. If, if I don't T- tell people what it is. So we, that's, we didn't do a good job of setting that up. So that's a company me and a good buddy of mine started back in 2015. Um, what we call it is like a celebrity outdoor service. So we put together like a year-long schedule of different species of hunting trips all over the world um, and fishing as well mixed in there. Um, and what we do is we ha- I have like 20 different celebrity pro staff members, which are a bunch of different UFC fighters, pro ball players, actors, PBR guys, just a mix of different types of athletes and celebrities you'd see on TV or watch playing their sport. Um, and what we do is we book clients on those trips and then we add one, uh, two, sometimes even three of our celebrities to join people um, on these trips. Like so, in a kind of hosting role. Exactly. Yeah. And they'll hunt with you. They fish with you, hang out in camp, have some beers, tell stories, like just make it a new and uh, like unique experience. Because um, there's a lot of guys that have booked a ton of different things all over the place. And they kind of get to that point where they're like, well, this is just, it's kind of boring for me now. And so now they can kind of mix it up. Or we do get a lot of like bachelor party guys, like for our fishing trips. Oh, okay. They want to come hang out with a bunch of different UFC guys and drink beer and catch fish and you know what I mean? And so we launched it back in 2015. 16 was our first full year. And I honestly, I had no clue how it was going to do. Like I, I was like, is this going to be kind of a conceited, like, are people going to look at me and be like, dude, you're an idiot. I ain't booking shit with you. (laughs) Or are people going to love it and want to come do these cool hunts with me or some of my buddies? And dude, we sold out 
Like what, every trip that we had that year, we sold out completely. And I'm like, dude, we got we got to grow. We got to add some trips for next year. Like oh, that was cool. Was, that was too easy. Yeah, if you care, if you want, if you're trying to look this up, it's fins like with a Z. So yep. F I N Z. I'm looking and, at Chad's and, hat right and now. And feathers is with the Z as well. Yeah. So fins. When people and type feathers. in. Imagine by the type they type in Chad Mendez fins, it'll, it'll pop up. They'll yeah. autofill. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we we just basically added from from 2016 on. We've just added a few trips each year. Um, and we've sold out everything that we've done. So it's been, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty rewarding for me to know that people, A, just want to hang out with these guys, but, you know, taking something that I have so much passion about, you know, hunting, fishing, teaching people. Um, we get a lot of guys that have never hunted, never fished that watch your guys' show a ton. And, you know, they see Rogan, they see Cam, they see all these guys who are going out and, you know, killing their own meat and living off of that, you know, and for me, like being able to talk about that in interviews when I was fighting, like, look, I live off of the, my wild game, like my training camps, the meat that I eat during those camps is all the stuff that I've killed throughout the year. Oh, really? So when, even when you're on like a super regimented diet, you're still putting wild game in there? Oh yeah. That's, oh, that's like cool. any, any diet that I've, so I, I work with the RP strength, who is a, a, it's a program that will create your diet as well. And so that's who I use. Um, would use through my training camps, but all the meat. Well, that I don't understand. What, I don't understand what that. What that, that's a. It's like a consulting. Yeah, basically, like they, you give them all your info, um, your goals. You know, obviously weight, height, like all that type of stuff. And like I tell them, okay, I have a fight in ten weeks. I need to get down to this weight, but I don't want to lose much muscle. So we need to get as lean as far, like body fat lean as possible, while keeping as much muscle as I can. So that when I cut that last 10 pounds of water, um, you know, I don't, I'm not dying. Um, and so then they put together a full diet plan for your training camp, knowing how much you're training, how much, you know, working out you're doing each day. To what level of detail? Pretty freaking detailed. Like, like down um, to the peanut. Um, maybe not quite down to the peanut. <laughs> we're, we're talking like, um, like a meal would be like a four ounce lean piece of meat, which any wild game is, is okay for that. Um, uh, 45 grams of complex carbs. So like your whole oats, brown yeah, rice. I, I, I count this yeah. as being down to the peanut. Hey, okay. <laughs> yeah. Down to the peanut then. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's a lot of freaking work, dude. It's, I mean, meal prepping is a must. Like you can't, you can't. And they'll have it dialed and you follow this thing and you'll get like. Yeah. And are you doing your own meal prepping and cooking? Yeah. Yep. I see you, do? you cooking all the I time. Do, yeah. I love Why don't you don't have man. someone come in and do it? No. I wish, but I'm too picky with my food, man. I, I love cooking. I love here's here's how much I love it. When I'm cutting weight, like I'm the week of the fight, I'm in my hotel room. I have weigh-ins in two days, and I'm sitting there watching the food channel, watching these people cook <laughs> all these delicious ass meals. Just, just waiting to get back oh, in there. Just like, oh, I'm gonna make that. I'm taking notes. <laughs> like, I'm gonna make that when I get there. <laughs> so That's some people, awesome. my wife's like, You're freaking insane. Like, why are you watching this? And I just I don't know. It just feels good to me. <laughs> T- tell me, uh, kine- I don't even know this word, kinesiology? Kinesiology, yeah. Kinesiology. You studied this in college. Yep. And then you went to like the highest level in terms of nutrition and body performance, like professionally. Um, when you look back at it all now, like your formal education, everything you learned from watching sort of like the world's top athletes getting the best shape they've ever been in. 
what is your sort of interest and tolerance and fad diets and stuff? Like, I do you, do you do you think there's like a magical formula and are you always like trying new things out or do you think there's just like like what's your diet theory, your I, diet philosophy? Yeah, I've never I don't think I've ever tried any of these fad diets. Um I see a lot of people doing a lot of different things and teach their own. I mean, if I feel like every human body is different, I think some bodies will, you know, will be okay in getting away with doing certain things where other people's bodies will not put up with it. Uh-huh. Um, I honestly think find what works best for you. Some people could live solely off meat and nothing else and feel great. Some people only want vegetables and that's that works great for their body. Me, I've always been about balancing everything. Like I I love carbs, I love vegetables, and I love meat. Like I my my solid meal is a a protein, a carb, and a vegetable. And whether I'm cutting weight or not, like even during the weight cut, like I would always make sure I had that type of those three things. Yes. So like my those RP meals would be a say like I said a four ounce lean piece of meat, so like a venison steak. And I would have to weigh those out, um, 45 grams of carbs, so like 45 grams of brown rice, um, and like two cups of broccoli. Or my favorite thing would be uh, cucumbers with a little bit of rice wine vinegar on them. Uh-huh. Just kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, and that's your weight cutting meal. That was it, man. That was something that I lived off of for 10 weeks. Obviously, I'd mix it up. And towards the end of my career, I started getting really creative with it um, because you can get away with like they have whole wheat um, tortillas, say you know, and I can do four ounces of ground uh, lean venison, a, tor- a whole wheat tortilla, or just however many that would make up what I'm supposed to eat. And you know, you can get away with making like tacos, or you know, because I make a little um, pico de gallo salsa or something. It's all veggies, and so I know I need this amount of vegetables, this amount of protein, this amount of carbs throw that together. Now I'm, now I'm eating something that's not boring. I would eat that anyways, you know? Yeah, I got you. And so I would start getting creative towards the end. Um, and it, mainly because I was kind of getting bored of eating the same things over and over and over When you're again. like but, hungry like that, do you just feel like they're just like punching someone? Oh dude, I get hangry bad. I get really, uh, yeah, I get really emotional when I get hungry. <laughs> I have zero, <laughs> zero patience. <laughs> and my wife could probably attest to that too. But, um, yeah, man, it's I get really irritable. Do you guys? Is that just me? Oh yeah, man. Yeah, I get so irritable. You can watch Steve. Really? Yeah. You can, yeah. <laughs> you, you you can give him you a Snickers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's your take on alcohol? I drink it. Yeah, I mean, in moderation, obviously. Um, like nothing through training camps, I would never drink. But that night after the fight, I'd I'd let loose. Like we'd get we'd get a little stupid loose for sure. Got yeah, you. Yeah. So. Um, did, what about? Go oh, go ahead. Cal. Oh, all your meal prep. Is that what led into cooking for you? Or have you always been kind of tinkering with cooking, like through college and stuff? No, I think I, I, the cooking's always been something that um, I, that's always interested me. My, my dad was always the one that cooked in our family. Um, and it was something that I remember watching him have so much passion about. And I think, I don't know if that's just what transferred it over to me or what, but um, I love cooking for people. I love cooking for large groups. Like our Fins and Feathers trips... I'm usually the one cooking most of the meals. Like, mm-hmm. if I work with an outfitter, I'll even ask them, like, can I at least cook one of the nights? 
you know, and so we'll go and, and do that for the clients. But it is funny because on, on uh, Instagram, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, look at me, I'm cooking. And you can look at it and you're like, you do not cook. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, but when you're doing but it, I'm you like, Chad knows how to do things. Yeah, like, and I'm looks, no pro yeah. by any means. I, I even sometimes make stuff where I'm like, oh, what the hell did I do? But I mean, in my honest opinion, that's how you got to learn. I mean, I'll follow a lot of recipes and sometimes I'll tweak things um, where I feel like it would add to it. Sometimes it does, sometimes it does not. But um, no, I, I love doing it. It's something I, especially with so so much wild game meat that I have, like you guys probably know this, you get bored of cooking it the same freaking way over and over again. So I'm always like. Oh, that's why I like eating at Yanni's here at night. Yeah, something new. Yeah, because yeah. I remember my brother, Danny, you know, he lives off wild game at his home and when he goes to someone's house, he's like, I just love it because it just tastes like something I didn't make. Because mm. <laughs> <laughs> my shit after a while, everything I make just seems to kind of be the same. Yeah, yeah. and it, for whatever reason, when someone usually, when someone cooks something, whether it's something you've made or they've made, it tastes better when somebody else makes it for you. Like, it's the sandwich effect. Like, I can make a sandwich and eat it, and it just doesn't taste the same. But my wife makes me a sandwich. It tastes 10 times better for some reason. I don't know what, why the hell that is, but... Um, I yeah, especially if it conforms to your idea of what food ought to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. But, you know, we've talked about this in the past, too. You get, like, these very fitness-centric people. Some of them hunt, some of them don't. But it's, like, the one thing that binds them together is the boneless, skinless chicken breast. And I'm mm, like, ugh. I don't care how healthy you are. <laughs> yeah. That is just that is a bridge too far. Yeah. No, I agree, man. And I am someone that will definitely stray from the health stuff. I've always tried to make things not over the top unhealthy, but I'm a sucker for good eats, man. I'll I'll throw some heavy cream in there, douse some cheese in there. And like, I'm not afraid to, my, my wife doesn't always like it. She Does she says, like to eat wild game? Oh yeah. She loves it. In fact, she actually, I kind of got her into hunting the last few years. She's, um, killed a wild pig on that ranch that I told you guys about. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's killed a couple turkeys. She killed a four-bearded turkey her very first time. <laughs> I said, you might as well just quit now. You're not going to beat that. But um, she killed one with her bow, which was oh, really? like the pinnacle of my career. Because I like, I scouted these suckers. I got it all set up. And I just, I was like, I just want you to try to kill one with your bow. And uh, for the first three setups, she was trying to use the guillotine broadheads. Yeah. And... She missed uh, three different jakes at like eight yards, um, and she was getting so frustrated. Because that's binary, right, with those. It's either like a kill or a miss. Yeah, and that's why I did it because yeah. I'm like, I would hate for her to hit one, wound it, and us not find it or it fly off, and I know that would probably scar her. And so I'm like, you're either going to end this thing right now Unless or you're going to miss. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I guess there's a little room to like nick it, but generally yeah. it's like a... Uh-huh, and she missed three times, and... You know, shit, we're getting up at like three in the morning and we're having to drive an hour each time and, you know, getting set up, waiting for the sun to come up. These things work in and then she misses. And she's like, I think the third time it almost broke her. Yeah, that's when you, that's when you start telling her, like, I wish we'd never met. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you ruined my life. Yeah. I didn't retire for this. <laughs> so I just switched her to a normal broadhead and was like, look, this is where you're going to aim. We, the night before we looked at videos, we like, I showed her some pictures of where to aim. And luckily this giant Tom comes walking in right at, right at first light. You're calling. Oh yeah. Call him in. He comes into the decoys. And I think I had the decoys at like eight yards. Cause I was like, I gotta get these things as close as I can. Shaking hands. Uh He comes in and she just hammers this thing and he goes like 
15 yards and tips over and i would i was just like oh that's great man. i felt more excited than if i would have shot the dang thing you know and she's like is it dead i'm like it's dead you got him and uh, so she was pretty pumped about that and we had that for um a big meal we had a bunch of friends that came over and we i smoked it on the traeger and we did this whole big like meal made like a big ordeal about it and she loved it so much and, oh that's cool yeah it was pretty cool and so um that was my that was my hunting story with the wife. So I ho- hopefully she definitely said she would do more. And that was her last last time doing anything. But yeah, we we'll have to get her on the show next. I know, right? <laughs> Tell that some would, hunting stories. That would be cool. Yeah. Hey, when you're um, like when you get knocked out all the time, how many times have been knocked out? Can you even count them up? Um, yeah. So right, and what do you count as a knockout at this point? Because you're talking about like the flash. Yeah, I count those. So like getting your bell rung. So this is what I don't know if you guys have ever had that happen where it like sounds like boom in your head, and it's like one time a, I was swinging on you know those macrame uh, like those things you hang potted plants from. Yes. Yeah, I remember hitting a tree when I was a kid one time and having that. Yeah. So it's like a it's almost like a, a drum going off in your head. Yeah, and I was flat out in the lawn. <clears throat> did you did you not remember and then wake up? Yeah. Okay, so you were knocked out. Yeah. So like I think a, that was the only time I was knocked out. Gotcha. So that's a knockout, and I, I would count those as a knockout. I wouldn't count the ringing your bell where it's just kind of like, you, like <laughs> well, everything. Explain kinda, a bell ringing. <laughs> yeah. We so, use ringing your bell to have someone shoot a shotgun next year. Yeah, kind of the same. Because then it's like, it's yeah. literally like for the next three hours. Ee. Yeah. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> um, so getting your bell rung, <clears throat> someone hits you. You hear that noise, but you don't forget anything. Like you're right there the whole time. Like holy. Crap, you know, like a knockout. And the technical is, term for that is a bell ring. And you got your bell rung, yeah. <laughs> okay. And then a knockout is you don't remember shit. You just you just wake up. So I don't know if you guys have ever been like blacked out from drinking ever. Oh yeah. And you just have you ever just come out of it and you're like, what the? Fuck? Oh yeah, you got to walk out, look yeah. for street signs, yeah. figure <laughs> yeah. out where you're at. Oh it's, yeah, man. that's kind of yeah. like being knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the, the times I've been knocked out, Jose Aldo, my first fight. He caught me with a big knee, and I just remember waking up. Now, it doesn't hurt because you, you don't know what the hell happened. You're just like, shit. You're looking around. <laughs> Everybody's, everybody laughed. Yeah. What the hell? So There's that, a dude sweeping up. <laughs> that was my first time. Um, like, how, But how long, though, typically in a fight? It's uh, seconds, right? Seconds, yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, like, you don't really – I remember watching the video – so I get hit with a knee. I, I went back to my back, and then he jumps on me and he hits me like three three or four times before the ref finally got to him and tackled him. Um, don't remember any of that. Um, oh, I okay. I don't remember getting back to my feet. I came back to, um, like, talking to the ref already standing, and I was just like, what the fuck Oh, and happened? then all of a sudden your brain, like, caught up. Yeah, uh-huh. It's It's weird. Um, so that's like a legit knockout. That's a legit knockout. And those suck so bad because it's like. So you're up and some dude's asking you questions and all of a sudden you like come into being. Yeah. Like a rest talking to you. <laughs> and then I think you're answering them because usually when I come back to you, I'm talking. Like I'm talking back to the rest. In a sensible I, way. I have no idea. I don't know. I wish somebody would film this because I don't know if I'm just, I don't know what I'm saying. I just, when I come back to you, I'm talking and then I like. I think they probably realize when oh, you come man. to. So how many of those? Let's rule out the bell ringings. I think two. Oh, okay. I, yeah. thought, I thought you were going to throw at me 20. Mm-mm. Two. No, two. Luckily, I, 
I think because I was a wrestler, I was mainly taking guys down and staying on top of them. Aldo was one, and Frankie Edgar was the other. Guys that knocked you out. Yep. Um, I got my bell rung with Connor. He di- he didn't put me out though. Connor McGregor. That's mm-hmm. like the one name that a lot of people know. Yeah. yeah. And then the second fight with um, Aldo, he rung my bell um, maybe two or three times in that fight where boom and you fall down and you get back up like i never lost memory on any of it but it takes your feet out from underneath you and your be- your body basically shuts down for a split second wow. and you're when yeah when that happens you you jump up and you're, you're i imagine you're focused on what you're doing but are you also like man i need to be alive a long time yeah <laughs> i and mean like I, have my <laughs> and be fun and be functional yeah as it, an old man or, or do you like think about that the next day next day yeah okay. you're not thinking that in the off you can't get it you can't go down that path. no so like for me when i got my bell rung i fell down it 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 messes with your vision for a split second too like you can't focus on anything it's just like everything's blurry and i just see him running at me and then it kind of clears back up and i'm like ah oh, shit and then i like you know get back into grappling and him being on top of me and we get back to the feet. But once that happens, once in a fight, your head's never the same. So it feels like you have tons of pressure in your head. For how long? Depends. Like for that one, that was a brutal fight, man. I pissed blood that night when I got back to the oh. hotel. Uh, my head was probably foggy like that and pressure for a day or two. Man. So if right now, if if right now, let's say I said, you got to just sit there and Yanni's going to sit up and Yanni's going to give you the hardest haymaker he can give you, <laughs> would you just be like, okay, whatever? Or would you be scared about it? I mean, I wouldn't like it. No, <laughs> no not at all. So uh, when you go into a fight, are you, are you like thinking like, man, I hope I don't get hit? Yeah. I mean, oh. that's, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> that's the goal Like in the time. basic way, like in the basic <laughs> way you'd imagine not wanting to get hit. Exactly. I mean, and like I said, I think the difference between someone that's never trained for fighting and someone that has, like, I think you fear the pain. I fear losing my fight. So Yeah, that, I get that's, that's kind of like, I think I'm thinking about it being like, you walk into a situation where, like, you're going somewhere, you know your feet will get totally cold, right? You're, you're like, about my feet will be numb. And you're just going to being like, it sucks, but I know my feet will be numb. Mm-hmm. And you just, right? Yep. I think some people be like, well, if you know they're going to be numb, why would you not go? But just some things you become comfortable with over time. Like you've been through it. Exactly. They get numb, they warm up again later. It just, you're just aware that it'll happen and you, whatever. Yep. But you don't get there about getting hit in the face. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, I know I'm going to get hit going into this fight. I'm not afraid. Like I said, I'm not afraid of it hurting. I'm afraid of waking up and having a loss. You know what I mean? Because here's the I mean, shit. Like having lost the fight. Yeah. And here's the shitty thing about that is not always the best guy wins that fight. I mean, with those little ass gloves on, one tiny mistake, if someone just puts their head down and wings something, even if they're meaning to hit you or just winging it, and you don't have your your hand covering your chin for a split second and it happens to catch you, you wake up and you're like, fuck, you know? Like all he shouldn't work, have won. All that work. All that work. For nothing. I didn't even get the fight. And that's kind of what happened with my Frankie Edgar fight. Like I went out there and just got clipped in the beginning of the fight. And I just woke up with the ref pushing me up against the cage. Like fight's over. And I'm just like, mother. You know? Like I didn't It shouldn't have been that way. No. Like I wanted to fight. And does the community do the, when that happens, when someone gets like a lucky shot, is it recognized in the community? 
Is um, it like, oh yeah, he won, but he shouldn't have won? There's some people that know it, but most people. The public perception is you lost. You lost. You got knocked out. You lost. And it, yeah, no one's like, wow, no. not really. In my honest opinion, this is how I would look at it. So, and this is how I based a lot of my preparation for certain fighters. If I'm looking at someone's highlight reels or, you know, s- certain past uh, fights that were online, if it's them going out there and knocking a dude out, I don't base a lot of my um, preparation off of that. If they go out there and completely dominate a fighter from start to finish, even though it goes to a decision, that's what I pay more attention to because, like I said, anybody could go out there and get lucky and knock somebody out. You know, we have four-ounce gloves on, which is basically bare knuckle. You know, it doesn't take much to knock somebody out if you catch them right. Um, but if you go out there and take them down or, or just outstrike them or just dominate them from the from beginning to end, like, that says something. So that's the type of stuff that I would pay more attention to. Yeah, like those fights where everybody's shocked because someone just throws up a calf. Uh-huh. And wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that you might be like, I don't know how much I'm, how long I actually trained for that. That, ha- that. that person did that one time. Exactly. Yeah, keep an eye on it. But, yeah. you know, if unless they've done it to like eight or nine different guys. Yeah, that's a, that's interesting, man, because uh, I could see that you'd, you'd be like, I hope I'm not the guy that gets hit real fast and goes down. Mm-hmm. I could see that you'd fixate on that. For me in my fight career, that was probably my biggest um, hurdle to get over was the fear of that. Not, like I said, the... F- I just didn't ever want to lose, mainly because I didn't want to disappoint. Um, I feel disappoint like who? My team, my family, you know, just fans. For me, that's you were out, you were with your wife while you were professionally fighting, right? Yep. Obviously, yeah. yep, yeah. I what met did she think her. about all that? Um, when you told her you wanted to wrap it up. Was she pissed? No, oh. she she was happy about that. I mean, this she did it, and you know, put up with it because she knew that I loved it. And, and but supportive. She's she was like supportive. a teammate. Yes, she was very supportive. Always, it wasn't her favorite. Like she's sitting there, always like this, just you know, peeking out or she hands in front of her eyes. Yeah, like what happened? What happened? She'd hear the crowd go crazy, and her brother would be there next to her or something, and he'd be like, "Oh, he knocked him out." And okay, you know, so. <laughs> no shit, really. Yeah. Oh yeah. So she she put up with it. It wasn't her favorite thing, but she was like I said, very supportive. So. Um, yeah. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. When you, when you were going through all this and, and, and actually in the, you know, like really fighting hard as a professional, 
Were you like, man, when I when I quit this shit, I'm gonna hunt and fish my yeah, ass yeah. off? Was that like in the back of your head? Oh yeah, the whole time. And that's <laughs> and that's why we created fins and feathers. I I was sitting there like, look, I can't fight forever. You know, we don't get we don't get money after we're done fighting. Like if we don't even fight, we don't get paid. We get paid per fight. So say we sign a UFC contract. Yeah, I get. Yeah, I mean that makes total sense, but I hadn't thought about it really. Yeah, it's so really we, like it's like we, jo- it's like job work. Or, yeah, well, I'm an independent contractor. When I'm done with the UFC, they shoo me away, and that's it. You know, like I'm on my own. So so there's there's no sort of there's no sort of like base salary. Nothing. Nope. It's just you, you fight for money. You fight for money. So we are prize fighters. What about sponsorships? So sponsorships are different. Um, and so this is what I tried to do. I started building a base in the outdoor world um, about halfway through my career because I knew I wanted to do something in the outdoor world when I'm done fighting that I could make money doing something I'm freaking obsessed with. And so I'm like, what the hell could we do? So me and my buddy were talking about the idea for fins and feathers, and it was something we talked about for a couple years, um, you know, and what really kickstarted it for me was my loss against Frankie Edgar. And that was that that moment where it was like, look, I just killed myself and went in there and got caught and I didn't even get the fight, you know? So when you lose, you only get half of your money that you were going to get. You don't get the full amount. So I just took a huge pay cut because I got caught by something. Well, so each guy agrees to a purse. Mm-hmm. That's, but you're, you're agreeing to the winning purse, yes. knowing that it's 50% if you lose. Yeah, exactly. And, but the two guys might have a different... Th- a different amount. Yeah, Everybody they had the potential to win. They had the potential to win different amounts of money. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. It's not like one pile to this guy, one pile to that guy. No, uh-huh. no. So you sign your contract. Say it's a five fight contract. Each fight is um, it goes usually goes up per fight. Is there ever a huge imbalance between the two fighters? Oh yeah. Like if I win, I make millions. If you win, you make shit. Yeah, that that's usually the case with Connor. Connor's making millions, and most guys are not making anything close. So to he that. could lose and make more than the guy that won. Oh yeah. Huh. Yeah. And some guys in their contract have a flat rate, you know? And so typically it's guys that have been with the company for a long time. The company meaning UFC. The UFC. And they've, their managers have figured out a way to look, like tell these guys, look, we'll sign a four fight contract, but these fights are all guaranteed this amount of money. Does that make sense? So there's no win or lose. Yeah, it's just a flat rate no matter what. So he's not even incentivized. I mean, you're incentivized for all manner of reasons, but the actual money is not incentivized. Yeah, exactly. But but all the other career and sponsorship and everything else, just doing good. Mm -hmm. So that's why we decided to do fins and feathers. I'm like, look, let's, what can I do to start building a, a base in the outdoor world so I can start working with different companies in the outdoor space? Um, and working on sponsorships and like trying to figure out ways so I can, you know, become relevant there, um, and get to travel around, do these hunts, make money doing these hunts and have fun with really cool people. And so we came up with the idea of fins and feathers. And I'm like, wow, well, like I said, I don't know how this is going to go. We can give it a shot. We'll try it for a year. And if, you know, if it doesn't work, we'll try to figure something else out. Yeah, you'd be like, or yeah. I'll just get real bitter, watch a lot of TV, <laughs> get girls the overweight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and take that route. I don't yeah. know. A lot of options <laughs> out there. And so, I mean, we did it. I um, I lost the Frankie, and I'm like, that year, I'm like, you know what? Let's get this sucker started. So we started the business. We got our attorney on things and, like, got everything planned out. We started building the website. Oh, really? You're, like, laying the groundwork, man. Yeah, we, I started doing it when I was still old, fighting. Like, what's an old fighter, though? Dan Henderson fought into his 40s. I want to say he was, like, 
46 or 47. That's a rarity, though. Yeah, that's very wow. rare. Most guys, um, like Uriah Faber, he retired when he was, I think, 39. Oh, so you kind of like got your money's worth anyways, man. I mean, you got out. You didn't like get out way early. Not super early. I mean, I still probably could have fought for another four or five years oh, okay. and made some yeah. money. But yeah. like Faber got out, 39, was out for like a year or two and then came out of retirement, fought a fight when he was 40, knocked the dude out, and then just lost his last fight. So I don't know. But that's like, you know, anything in the 40s is like, that's kind of up there. You think that's you know? in your cards? Like nah. eventually somebody's going to come you back, back out. I don't think so, man. I'm people ask that all the like time. Like some rocky shit, man. You come yeah. back. Yeah. I think I think things would have to be absolutely horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so you go into it to, from a position of weakness. Exactly. Not a position <laughs> yeah. of strength. Yeah. Things uh, would have to be You were backed into a corner. You'd <laughs> be real yeah. hungry. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just having so much damn fun doing what we're doing, man, and and you know, it's something I love to do. I don't have to get punched in the head anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, and so I, I don't. I don't see myself coming out of retirement anytime soon. So <laughs> you're just keeping your busy now. Yeah, I like how you can say I don't have to get punched in the head anymore, yeah. and it's not a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I'm like, when I'm like, listening to all the good shit. You know, if I need to cheer myself up, I'm going to start adding that in. Yeah. Like, no one's punching me in the head. (laughs) That's true, (laughs) Probably. You know how many mornings I'd get out of bed just, like, so sore from head to toe, and it's early morning, you know, we don't get cold out here like it is out here, but it's, you know, high 30s, low 40s, and I got to freaking go to the gym, which our heater freaking sucked, so everything was freezing, mats were freezing, we had these big... um, like diesel, do you ever see those diesel heaters where it looks like a jet engine? That's yeah. Just oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We call them, we always like torpedo heaters. Yeah. yeah. So we'd have one of those on the side of the mat. So the whole gym smells like diesel exhaust and everybody's freezing. Those things kick ass though, man. Oh yeah, they heat it up. With <laughs> you them, ever get a fire know. going and aim one of those uh, into the fire? <laughs> no. It's amazing. Oh, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> it really gooses it, man. <laughs> but yeah, man, and then I'm like... Got these guys that want to fucking punch me in the face. I'm like, dude, don't touch me right now. <laughs> I don't even want to be here. But you got to get through it, you know. But yeah, those are the. I, that's the shit I don't. I don't look forward to ever again. <laughs> like I'm good. I'm good not doing that anymore. What's your uh, you got? What's your career advice for people? Oh man, I mean, I think it is finding something you love to do. Like I love fighting. I loved competing. I, I did it my whole life. Um, you know, I say all this negative stuff about it, but it was very good to me. I was good at I, it. I don't think you sound negative. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I think you sound like a guy who's done. Yeah. Right. It's not negative. Okay, good. Just like it's, there's like a circumspect, right? Yeah. Or circumspection, whatever the mm-hmm. hell I'm trying to say. I gotcha. Yeah. You're just looking at it from a new Outside, angle. Yeah, man. exactly. Yeah. But I mean, just find what you love to do. And, and if, like if it's something you love, it's never going to be work. Like there's going to be times, like I said, those mornings where I'm sore from head to toe, it's cold. I don't want to get touched, but you do the workout and you feel good about it after, you know, I just pushed through that. Like that was pretty cool. Do you think, do you you think that, um, being as disciplined as you had to have been, uh, did that come naturally? Did you have to like force discipline? Um, I think there was a mix of times where I had to force it. Um, I actually, as a kid, tried to play baseball. And my dad, these are this is a quote from my dad. 
uh, you're not playing baseball, only pussies play baseball. So I was like, well. You hear that, Pete Alonzo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to play a team sport where I'm out there with a team, you know, and baseball, and I played on the playground. I loved it, you know, and, you know, I was just always so small. Your dad was like the old school kind oh, of yeah, dad, just yeah, like. Just the old Portuguese. Just He's like, I don't care ass. if you're 80 pounds. Yeah. Get your ass in there and wrestle. You know, I, there was multiple times growing up I wanted to do something else. I wanted to quit, quit wrestling um, and the discipline. That was basically my dad making me stick with it, which looking back on it now, I'm glad he did because it, you know, made me who I am now. Same thing with uh, my freshman year in, in college wanting to quit, you know, the wrestling part of it then. You know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have made it to the UFC. I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys right now, you know. And so there's so many things that I'm grateful for when it comes to that type of stuff. But, you know, the discipline part of it sometimes was kind of forced on me. It's interesting that you mentioned the guilt thing because um, I think people that oftentimes when I see people who just really lack discipline, they don't have that. Mm-mm. Where I'll see someone and I'll hear about what someone did and I'll think, how, like, like, I'm not, I'm not even talking about, like, how could that be of interest to you? Like, how you wasted that amount of time. But <laughs> where was the part of you that would have been, where's the part of you that tells you that you can't do that? Yeah. Some people don't have that. <laughs> yeah, the guilt. Thing. I have friends right. like that. I'll go don't over. You I, get like fish, I get, like, fishing guilt. Yeah. Really? Like, to not fish. Yeah. It feels guilty yeah, to, yeah. like. You know, a long time goes by and you have opportunities that you don't do. It's like it's like weighs on my conscience. Yeah. <laughs> Netflix, I believe, is making millions of dollars off these people that don't have that in their brain. <laughs> that don't feel shame. No, because I, uh, I, 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 uh, I watch films and TV with a sense of discipline. Like well, I'm, I'm strategic about it. Right. And, and I don't feel bad doing it. I get shame at the grocery store. Like – when I have uh, in between, you know, busy weeks, lots of travel, I'm like, ah, I'm just going to get this pre-made pasta stuff yes. and then I'll throw some meat on top of it when I get home. Oh, and you get guilty feeling. By the time I'm done cooking, I'm <laughs> like, why did I, it's not that much more time. Yeah. What, yeah. what are you doing? I get a guilt. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have a life defined by guilt, man. Like when we do it like now and then as a sort of like a nod to our kids, we'll have like pizza night, right? And it's kind of easy for everybody. You know, you don't have to clean up. Oh, it's great. You know, it's like, it's just everything about it's easy. They show up. Kids are like, oh, yeah, great. They like, you don't have to be like, eat your food. They just eat their food. You like walk up with the box in the recycling bin. And it's just easy. easy. But that makes me feel guilty. Because <laughs> yeah. we didn't like cook something and like yell at the kids to eat it. Like, I, like, I, like I, yeah, I have a guilt-guided life, man. I think that's a good thing, though. I mean, <laughs> it sucks from time to time. But shit, man, we don't. Yeah, I don't know. I. I take that as, you know, that's what makes us all successful. Like, if you didn't have that feeling, like I said, I have a few buddies that are just, like, the biggest pieces of shit ever. And I'm like, dude, how do you, how are you eating that? And how are you, like, not doing anything after eating that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, like, like I, said, I don't have guilt, bro. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm a little jealous of it. I look at it. my friends who are, like, you know, be like, oh, man, I feel like a piece of crap because I ran out and got pizza last night. Like, well, you know, you work all the time and occasionally it's okay to get a pizza and you kind of look at them and you're like, are you really my friend? <laughs> like, who are you? <laughs> do you, uh, you film some of your hunts? Yeah. Do you do it, like, do you film and, and put them up 
You put them on YouTube. Yeah, I put them on, on my YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, is that do you view that as being tied into fins and feathers? I do. Yeah. Um, I think because a lot of those videos actually are fins and feathers trips. Gotcha. Not all of them. I do a lot so of my people personal, can watch it and see what's, exactly. what to and expect. I, exactly. And I, it's you know they're they're not like the highest quality videos. It's me vlogging, which. I feel like resonates more with people. Like it's me, like you're seeing this from my point of view. I'm sitting here talking to the camera, sure, yeah. then I'm pointing it to you, you know? And, you know, so for me, the the marketing part of going on these trips, filming this stuff and being able to put that on the YouTube for people to see, A, it brings such a bigger connection. Like when I go to those shows, like so many people come to the booth and they're like, dude, I loved this video. I loved this hunt. Oh, is that that animal? So there's like a connection. Are you setting there. up a booth, like a Fins and Feathers yeah, booth yep. at these shows. outdoor yep. expo type shows? And then you go man that booth. Yeah. So people that wanted to meet, you could go to their local, or not local, but whatever sports show. Yeah, exactly. How many sports shows do you go to? I, we only do the booth at two shows. We do the SAC Expo and then that big hunt expo in Utah. Yep. Um, and um, bo- both are extremely you know, I love both of them. I, they can be a ton of work, you know, we're setting the booth up ourselves, traveling out to Utah and back. And, but I mean, just seeing all the people, like I've been going, I think this was our fifth year and it's crazy. There's so many like little kid, like wrestlers or just kids that are into the hunting and out, outdoor lifestyle that I've seen for the last five years, just getting bigger, oh, really? and bigger, bigger. Oh, that's yeah. funny. I'm like, yeah. dude, and some of them, like we've taken a picture every single year and they'll do like a slideshow and it's just cool to that's see the funny. progression and when you, when you, if let's say people wanted to go and they wanted to make sure that they were going on a trip that you were accompanying, um, so do they, do, is there like a guarantee? Like, can they be like, I'm going on this trip and Chad Mendez is going, or is it like, I'm going on this trip and I don't know who, but some, they're going to send someone. So what we do is if you go to our website, um, finsandfeathers.com, our schedule page will be this year's schedule. So it'll show all the different hunts. So it'll give the species, the location, the actual dates. Um, and then what we do, it'll say price and how many spots are available, but we'll put possible celebrities. Now, and the reason why I say possible, if my name's on there, there's like a 99% chance, especially now that I'm retired, that I'm going on that one. Um, the other guys, we say possible, and I usually list like three, like two or three guys. Um, if a fight pops up or something and they can't go on that trip. Oh yeah. Cause there's always a little bit of uncertainty because exactly. you're scheduling way out. Mm-hmm. So then we'll, we'll rotate one of these other guys, but you you'll have a an idea of who's going to go on that trip. Um, I so that's what I was telling Cal in the car. Like I, the last couple of years, I've gone on almost every single trip. Oh, okay. Um, and I'll bring some of my buddies in mainly because I just don't want like if it's there if one of my buddies that maybe fights in the UFC and they've never gone on this trip before, they don't know the outfitter yet. You know, I just want to be there and make sure everything goes smooth. I want to be there with the clients and make sure everything's going the way that I want it to go. Um, but last year, and I'm going to start doing that more this year, you know, those, those celebrity guys have gone on these trips now and they understand the process. They are buddies with the outfitter now. And so there's going to be more trips where I don't have to go on them anymore. And so I'm going to start just sending more of these guys. And that's, that was the original business model for this. Like I, obviously I would go on every single, if I was single, I would go on every single one of these ones every year. My wife's like, I'm going to cut your nuts off if you leave one more time. Mm-hmm. So it's like. And I that got, could actually impact your desire to go in the first place. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I'm starting to just trying to clear up my schedule with these as much as I can and start putting some of these other guys on so that, you know, I don't have to travel as much. Mixing in with all my personal hunts and stuff as well. What kind of trip, um, 
what kind of trip like really lets it all come home in the right way? You know what I mean? In terms of being able to like have exposure to someone that you want to hang out with and it's kind of the right blend of effort and, and, you know, I mean, like, is it, I'm guessing it's not like hunting doll sheep. No, no. We, and that's the thing. Most of our trips are pretty low impact. They're not like, we're not really doing, we've done the backcountry stuff a couple of times, but it's tough, man. It's tough. So you do like a lot of waterfowl, turkeys? We do that type of stuff. Most yeah. of the stuff we do is big game. But Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, I looked at the uh, schedule, man. There's yeah. a little bit of everything. Yeah, we, cow, we, ar- uh, cow elk, archery elk hunt, mule deer, whitetail back in the Midwest, a San Diego tuna trip, which I've heard from a lot of people that have done trips similar. That's a great time. Yeah, that one's one of my favorite of the year. And we get, uh, so we, we charter out a 90-foot boat. Um, there's bedrooms and stuff all downstairs. You go out for three days. There's cooks on board cooking on your meal. It's pretty pampered, you know, and, um, they prepare the tuna. They'll do it. Like if you catch tuna and they'll make sashimi sometimes, they'll do like big poke bowls. Um, it's nice, but yeah, that one's fun. Everyone's drinking beer. We got 30 clients on that one. Um, and so usually it's me, Dan Henderson and Clay Guida. That's who's going on it this year. But um, we're just there fishing with everyone, drinking beer, hanging out. That one, and you know, and there's not. At, once I get everybody on the boat and all the paperwork's done, all the planning and scheduling's done, I just get to go have fun. We get to go have fun. So it's like, you know, I'm handing out some gifts and stuff during the trip. So, but which is easy. But you know, we're catching tuna, having you know fun in the sun, and that one's a lot of fun. We actually just sold out. Um, on my flight here, I, I sold the last three spots on my layover. So we're we're officially booked out on that one for 2020. But um, yeah, man, we try to mix up all kinds of different things. There's some people that really enjoy the mule deer stuff. They don't really care too much about the whitetail stuff. So we we make sure we do both. Um, the cow elk hunt, I think, is going to be really cool this year. It's a rifle hunt, 100% success rate. Like, there's tons of cows, tons of elk. Um, uh, and so we're going to go out there and, you know, these guys that have never, a lot of these guys have never killed anything before. So, um, it's going to be a, a cool hunt where we're showing these guys how to do all the field dressing, how to cut these things up and get them prepped for the drive home. Um, and just kind of teaching these guys like what, um, what fins and feathers is about, but also what it's like getting to harvest your own meal and, and take it home with you. Um, one thing we are really starting to plan start we've talked about the last couple of years is doing a um like a fins and feathers academy where we get a lot i personally get a lot of fans that follow me for the fighting side of it that have never hunted or done anything like that yep. and so they see me hunting and you know cooking all these wild game meals and having all this meat just readily available in my freezer they're like dude i and i you know messages i really want to do that i think this is awesome dude and, and again a lot of people that watch your show um and they're like, I want to be like that. I want to be able to just go out in my freezer and grab, you know, X, Y, and Z and go inside and cook it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to show people how to get their hunter safety, get their hunting license, take them on a hunt, how to hunt, show them all the field dressing and all that stuff, show them how to properly break down an animal, and then cook these really cool meals oh, that's with, cool. with the wild game. So. It'll be like from start to finish, like if you've never done it before, this is what you do. And just go out, take a handful of guys and girls out and teach them all the stuff that I've learned over the years. And, um, you know, have buddies that are unbelievable wild game cooks. Maybe bring some of those guys in, pair it with different wines or something, um, and just call it the Fins and Feathers Academy. So I, I, that's like a dream that I've seen oh, that's great, man. for a little yeah. bit. I just... 
I think the hardest thing is just finding the locations um, that have all the the kitchenware and like the the spots big enough to, you know, a kill the animals, but then also be able to cook it and teach them all that stuff with with all the um, right amount of utensils and all that stuff. So. Yeah, I'm impressed, man. Just again looking through your schedule, uh, there's a lot of hunts you can go on without uh, getting to hang out with Chad Mendez yeah. for the same price. Yeah, you know, like you guys are very reasonable price. Yeah, and that, we I try to keep it that way, and that's what I was telling you. So what we do is we team up with outfitters and we figure out the monetary side of it per spot. Um, I don't, I'm not trying to like jack these up so high that nobody could ever go on them. I mean, is some of the stuff relatively pricey? I mean. If you buy that hunt anywhere, that you're probably going to spend around the same amount of money. Yeah. But um, like I'm I'm not trying to just like jack these up through the roof, you know. And so I try to keep them pretty similar to what you would normally pay. So it's not a huge celebrity fee. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and and that's that's just one of those things. I feel like it's kind of a conceited. That was one of the issues I had when um, creating fins and feathers. Like, what do we charge? Like, like, what is my worth? <laughs> like, what do people, you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, not with what, you. what am I going to charge people to come hang out with me? Like, is that kind of fucked up? Like, you know. And it's so, hard putting prices on stuff, man. It is, it is. And uh, but yeah. I, I think we've kind of nailed it down. We do, like I said, we've sold out, the, you know, all the years that we've been in business, which is unbelievable to me and to my business partner. And just... We've had a lot of people that have rebooked on a lot of the things that have just had so much fun. And what's great is those guys, word of mouth, start bringing buddies like, oh, you guys got to come do this. It was so much fun. And um, it's just been so, so cool for me to be able to live my dream, you know. Got two more questions for you. Yanni threw this one in. Yanni, go ahead. <laughs> which, which well, okay, one? so <laughs> oh, you just, you just I, throw this in. So Yanni, went a whole, Yanni took a whole year off alcohol. Now he's back on alcohol. And now he's taking, well, how, long, well, how long is your little sugar break? Three months. Three months with no desserts. No way. Yeah, he says, um, how does sugar play in your diet? Yeah, I couldn't squeeze it in earlier when we were <laughs> yeah. talking about diet. Yeah. But. <laughs> no, we're just take, picking up loose ends right now. Well. What's your attitude to sugar? If I made you a big old flan, would you eat it? I'm going to tell you guys what I had for dinner last night. So I ate my meal, and for dessert... I had a chocolate brownie with a scoop of vanilla ice cream on it with some caramel drizzle on top. So. Yeah, and he'd beat your ass, Yanni. <laughs> <laughs> now, would you would you have that same dessert during your 10-week ten, ten training period? Usually no, but, <laughs> but there are times, depending on, and, and I think this is something that is very important when anyone is sticking to some kind of strict diet, you have to have cheat days. You will go freaking insane mm. sticking to the same thing every single day for however long you're going to do it. So like during my training camp, I'd say maybe once or twice through the 10 weeks, we would go and I would get an ice, like an ice cream or, um, you know, whatever it may be. But we would go get something like a, like a splurge or I'd even go out and get like a big old fat hamburger or something, you know. So to satisfy that corner of the brain that's, exactly. that's nagging at you. Yeah. You have to do it, man. You and people that say that they never do it, they're lying. They no, Yanni's not lying. The other <laughs> night, my wife made an ice cream pie for the kids. He did not. And he was leaning over it. There's like one little piece there. And he was like, you know, I might even eat that piece of ice cream pie. But then he didn't touch uh, it. That's, that's strong. Dude, he had discipline, man. Yeah, that's strong. Yeah, we'll see. Had, um, so you don't discipline. consider sugar the devil? Um, I mean, it's not great. No, I don't think it's great. But 
I think in moderation from time to time is not going to kill anyone. We um, had a hard time defining um, when we were kicking this around. I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing it, but like defining like, you know, like what is sugar, right? Because yeah. I mean, sugar's everywhere. Exactly. So he had to sort of be like, well, you know, shit where sugar's the point. Like cutting out like shit where the point is that it's sugary and sweet. <laughs> yeah. Because you can't, you know, you'd be like, okay, a strawberry has sugars in it. You know yeah. what I mean? It's all that, but. I, I think yeah I know so he had to look and like you I know think refined, it was difficult. refined sugar is what you're probably trying to kick yeah. right yeah yeah and or I like think like added sugar yeah added and when sugar. it's easy like ketchup I've been trying not I've been not eating ketchup because because yeah. yeah. that's sugary because enough. of the sugar well yeah again when you look at the label and if in the first Second, two to three yeah. ingredients it says sugar, sugar, that's what I'm aiming not to be eating right now. I thought now. that shit was just tomatoes. <laughs> 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 hey, you know something that. Uh, when I was working on my book, uh, my first book called The Scavenger's Guide to Oat Cuisine, it was about this French chef, Escoffier, and, and all the ga- wild game he would cook. But um, for, for a long time, like, ketchup didn't mean, like, you'd specify. There's mushroom ketchup. Really? Tomato ketchup. Yeah, there's many, many, many. And then over time, it just became, like, ketchup became, like, ketchup. But ketchup used to be, like, there's this sort of category of, like, vinegary toppings. Huh. And, and that was, the tomato one was no more... Than the mushroom one, you know what I mean? It's just like this whole thing. I'd be like, if all of a sudden, like, dressing just became ranch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that like, ranch, sense. like, won yeah. the fight. <laughs> so it was like a general condiment. Yeah, it was like a vinegary, like a pureed sort of vinegary topping. Boy, it'd be annoying to b- try to bring that one back. Oh, uh, what type of ketchup? <laughs> uh, mushroom or? Yeah, yeah, you could become like that guy. <laughs> Excuse well, now, me, Mr. Now Burger kinda, King. Yeah, now I'm curious and want to try them, though. Yeah, like at the yeah, Burger King drive through yeah. When you say ketchup, you mean a mushroom ketchup? <laughs> uh, last question for you, unless Cal's got one. Um, Blue, like, and I like, you work in the hunting industry. I work in the hunting industry. Work in the hunting industry. And so hunting is different for people in the hunting industry. Like, the opportunities are different. And you know people and, like, you know, mm-hmm. you get connections and all that, whatever. You just know what's up. Right. When you want to go somewhere, you make a couple phone calls, you find out what's going on. Yeah. It's helpful. Yep. It's, it's way more than shit you learn on Google. <laughs> yeah. It's by calling people you know because you have a lot of connections. But like I get a sense just from communications from emails we get that like that I find a high level of pessimism among blue collar California hunters. Like classic weekend warrior like that the kind of hunting you grew up as right and you described it perfectly yep is that pessimism warranted in california it just seems just seems to be like a down and outness yeah i yeah i sense that a lot in cali i don't know what i mean for me and you're referring to like people buying hunts or no i just mean a dude you know a dude he pulls like a normal salary he's got a family he can hunt on the weekends. He doesn't have access to a lot of private land. It just seems to be kind of like, like I said, like a general down and outness. Yeah. You know, you talk to whatever, like, you know, you it's could talk to people hunting. in Wyoming. There's a general enthusiasm, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Like, oh, yeah, hell yeah, it's great. But yeah. is the pessimism mostly aimed at uh, lack of opportunity or I feel that that's what la- it is. lack of it's brethren? Too, too crowded. No, I don't think it's like lack of community. I think it's too much. If anything, it'd be too much too community. Much, yeah. And I, I feel like everything's, it's just, it's so thick, it's so crowded. There is some extremely tough conditions in California, but there are also some really 
great opportunities for the outdoorsmen in California. In my honest opinion, we have some amazing, amazing fishing locations. Oh, I think the yeah the 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 fishing is probably if you say that in California, you're probably high. Yeah, and, and you're, if you're in California, you probably are high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would probably. Um, but I mean, there's still great hunting. I, and here's here's what I've tried to do over the years because I I've felt that before. It's tough. Like there, there's public ground, but it's thick. It's overcrowded. You know the the amount of animals you're seeing are you know close to none. Um, you know it's the opportunities aren't ideally easy. You know you got to work your ass off. Yeah. Compared to maybe I go to Utah and I'm seeing a hundred different deer in a day, you know what I mean? Like you don't do that in yeah, California. We saw 12 bucks. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't see it. And there's years I would go an entire season without seeing a legal buck, which, you know, just has to have two on one side, you know? And so, yeah, I, I can see why some people um, have that, you know, it's not, it's not easy, but I mean, you got to make opportunity too. Like I, I'm busting my ass daily, knocking on people's doors, like seeing different properties that I know have amazing animals on them. And I ask for permission. Like, do I get told no, probably 99.9% of the time? Yes. So you're still out there mixing it up, like oh, hell yeah. strategizing and trying to get on to good hunting. Exactly. And there's a ton, a ton of great hunting that's private though. And so it's like, worst case, they're going to say no. In fact, recently I got chewed out for asking. You're just going to feel guilty if you don't go beat on some doors. That's what it is. <laughs> Maybe. The, yeah. the yeah. guilt-driven yeah. right guilt permission The turkeys are right it. there. I got to go ask. But So, so you, you asked someone and they got pissed? They got pissed. Because I actually you, like, wrote you went, a letter. You went past a no trespassing sign to go knock on the door or what was their... So that was their reasoning for it. But uh, it's an easement road and I got permission on the road because there is a um, another piece of property that I can get on that, that the only road in and out goes through. So this is a road that they they have a gate that goes, you know, a thousand yards to their house that's down there. So I hand wrote a whole letter, put pictures of my me and my family so they know that it's not some crazy lunatic trying to get in there. Um, explained to myself of, you know, why I would love to archery hunt turkeys on their property. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, I think it's a hundred acre piece. Um, and I left it in an envelope and set it on their gate. Didn't go in their gate, didn't go up there, anything. Left it there. And I think two days later, three, two or three days later, I get a call from a number that's from the Bay Area. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know who this is. I answer it. And the guy's like, is this Chad? I'm like, uh, yeah, who's this? He's like, this is so-and-so. I won't say their name, even though I probably should. Um, and he's like, go ahead. Uh, it was John Caswell. <laughs> <laughs> and the biggest dick I've ever talked to on the phone. How the f- did you get that letter on my fence? How dare you even ask to hunt on my property? Like just going off. And my heart's just like beating. Like, oh, I'm getting an earful. And I'm, you know, really? I'm trying not to be an asshole. And, you know, there's so many things going through my head that I want to say to this guy. And, you know, we're freaking neighbors. Like, it's not that far from my house. I could throw a football onto the property that's over there. And uh, he couldn't just be like, no. No, no. He had, <laughs> to, he had to chew my ear off first. And so he's going off, going off, going off. And he, go, he goes, and to uh, answer your question, no, you can't 
hunt on my property. And I'm like, well, I couldn't tell by the tone in your voice. I, <laughs> but, I had an office. I had a phone call the other day with a guy where I wanted to inquire about a property. And when I'm looking him up, I realized that he's got a business where you can send a, um, like a, you can send them like a, like a, you know, you fill out a, it auto populates your name and stuff and you can mm-hmm. do an inquiry, like a business yep. inquiry. Gotcha. So I do a business inquiry and I apologize in my inquiry. Sorry to use this. I just thought it might be less Appreciate of an annoyance than if I called. Yeah. You know, and he says, and I lay it out for him and he says, well, give me a call next week. So I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, I got it. Right. Nice. So we play phone tag a little bit and eventually get out on the phone and um, has a whole bunch of questions for me. We're talking, it's going great. And I'm about ready. I'm to the point where I'm like, well, where should I park? Yeah. <laughs> right? And he goes, well, I don't mean to string you along. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. Very nice well, talking yeah. to you, what sir. Thanks for calling. No. Just friendly as shit, you know? Could you by chance tell me what you did mean? Just <laughs> yes. for future reference? I think he, I, my feeling, he went in knowing that it was a no, but was just being like, I took the time to reach out to him. He felt obligated to, he felt obligated to, Close the loop. Yes. And, and see, with, I, very politely, I'm like, okay, great. Um, thanks for calling. I respect your, you know, respect your perspective on it. Yeah. Um, okay. I we're, I, we're, I, I wish I, I would I, get that <laughs> in California. It was really unusual. It was I, really, I either don't get anything back, just silence, or that guy. This guy was from the South. Gotcha. And it, no, he he wanted to like we talked. We were talking about earlier before we started recording. He was closing the loop. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, you just gotta one, wonder what what happens with that dude's day. Who yells down to him to where he's like, yeah. "Oh, I'm gonna take the opportunity to wring the neck of this person with the nicely uh, written note and the nice little family yeah. unit yeah, here." Yeah, I'll show you to <laughs> yeah. take uh, the really responsible path here <laughs> yeah. and write me a letter That's illustrating what you'd like to do and how to contact me and giving me a sense of like who you are as an individual i'll teach you a lesson buddy yeah. dude that's how i felt too i'm like you know how many people probably would just walk in there and poach and like trespass like i i felt like i went out of my way I sat down at my computer and like wrote this like dick in the wind oh, man dude i was yeah. so upset yeah. that, that ate me up too for like oh, a good week i'm just like what like well, i want to talk if you're a kid guy. doing it you probably oh, never yeah. knock on another door no, again i know you probably just go the trespassing route. Oh, John. Oh, yeah, it's like next time, bro. I'm just gonna go. <laughs> Ain't worth asking. Yeah, you get, get tore up when you ask. No. I get charged with trespassing. It's just a hundred bucks. Yeah, this it thing hurts. stings. Yeah. Now you gotta remember, old John's gotta live with himself every day. It's true. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, like live with his own company. Mm-hmm. I yeah. uh, I got a uh, question. We get a lot. Uh, but uh, favorite game and how do you cook it? Oh man, I really enjoy Axis Deer. I so the last I think it's been three years now. I've been going to like Southern Texas um, with the Mountain Ops crew, and we do a free range Axis Deer hunt down there. And my the first year I killed a buck, um, and I was it was you know during the rut, and I'm just like man, I wonder how these are going to be during the rut. Is it going to be a little you know gamey? What's it going to be like? Unfreaking believable. We even had some on the grill next to a piece of elk. And so I was like, I want to taste test these suckers. And I enjoyed the Axis deer more than I enjoyed the elk. And and up until that point, I'd say elk was probably my favorite 
um, wild game. That or maybe even wild boar. I absolutely really love wild boar. Um, but axis deer and what like my favorite probably most um, appealing way to make it is I keep the um, the loin like bone in. Yep. And I'll do the tomahawk steaks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, I'll usually smoke, cool yeah, like smoke yeah. them for a little bit for, you know, 30, 45 minutes, and then I'll take them out and get a cast iron hot, and I'll do the butter and rosemary. Well, so you do the old pre-smoke. Yeah, pre-smoke. Yeah, like a reverse sear style. Like cold. Uh-huh. Yep. Cold it, or hot? Uh, hot, but really, really low, because they're thin. I mean, after you slice them, you, you they're... Even at that low temp for like 30, 40 minutes, they're partially cooking. But the goal is just the smoke. Just to get a little bit of the smoke from oh, there you yep. go. And then just finish them off in a real hot cast iron. Nice. And just eat those suckers like lamb lollipops. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so good. Dude, yeah, that sounds that's, good, man. That's a fan favorite for sure. That sounds uh, good. We are uh, trying to do a cookbook. I'm trying to copy you guys. I want to follow in your footsteps. <laughs> go ahead. But, um, yeah, me and... Uh, two other buddies named Chad as well. So there's gonna be three of us, three chats, <laughs> three chats, one cookbook. <laughs> but that's a that's a great name for a book, man. Yeah, that is, that is, and, and you're totally safe because we're not gonna copy you and start getting punched in the head. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> but we're I, I want. I mean, we've been talking about doing it now for a year and a half. So I have no idea when it's gonna when we're gonna launch. We have all our recipes done, and we're looking for a publisher and stuff now. But um, I, I just love the wild game type stuff, you know, I'm doing that part of it. We have another guy, Chad Ward, who is, uh, in the Traeger in the barbecue world. He's a pit master barbecue world champ. Um, and he's going to do a lot of the barbecue side of it. And then we're going to do, do you guys know who Chad Belding is? He has the foul life. Um, he's going to do a lot of, like, I'm familiar with that. Yeah. But yeah. He's going to do a lot of the, like, the birds and stuff like that, and I'll do more of the big game stuff. But it's just going to kind of be a mix of a little bit of everything. Have send some, me a copy. Yeah, hell yeah. When we get it done, I'll, I'll for sure send you guys some. But I'll blurb the back. <laughs> nice. I'll just blurb the dude's wild game. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, a guy up in Toronto, Michael Hunter. Nice. Yeah, okay. He's got a book coming out. Um, all right. Good? Fellas? Very good. I'm good. Thanks, That's Chad. Awesome. Hell yeah. Good luck man. with that baby, man. Thank you, guys. Don't it's, let her go in the... UFC. Oh, that that was my my question for you, uh, for buddy of mine. Same, you know, very young child at home. Like, where do you put the uh, brand new baby life versus the training life? What would you rather be doing? Uh, baby life. Yeah, yeah. Right. I I love it. My and I I mean, my wife does most of it. She's she's super mom for sure. Um, when I'm out doing all this type of stuff and doing the fins and feathers stuff, she's home alone. Her family's from Missouri. So, and, and my dad is like four hours South of us and he just doesn't really do the baby thing anyway. So, (laughs) you know, she's pretty much home alone taking care of the baby. So, um, yeah, my hat's off to her for sure. I want to give you some parenting advice, but. Go for it. Well, I can't. I got to wait 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the problem with that stuff, man. I got like ideas, but I haven't, they haven't been born out yet. Yeah. I could be way off. Uh, <laughs> you know, know. you I come don't... like find my kids and they're all, <laughs> they're yeah. all in jail and whatnot. Be like, dude, don't do that guy, dude. Yeah. No, I think you guys are good. I'll have to hold off. When I'm, when I'm, well, how old would I be? Yeah, when I'm in my mid 60s, I'll be throwing around some advice. I'm not, I might be like, well, whatever you do, don't do this. <laughs> Here's where well, I went wrong. <laughs> in hindsight. All right, Chad Mendez, Fins and Feathers. Thank you guys very much for Formerly UFC. <laughs> yeah. We are retired. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys.